Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Good evening to everybody to this week's Maternity and Midwifery Hour. Welcome wherever you are in the world. It's great to see everybody. Well, I can see my my lovely speakers and I'm seeing you all out there as well. Welcome to this fifth episode of the fifth series of the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. My name's Sue MacDonald and I'm the curator for the Midwifery and Maternity Festivals and this hour. And it's my pleasure to be chairing the session tonight. It's going to be fantastic. As many of you will know, these sessions were designed just on the onset of the pandemic last year as a way of linking up midwives, student midwives, people who want to become midwives, to give them some continuing professional development and also a way of linking together and to get them information, nice and new contemporary stuff to keep them up to date with things. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome, first of all, but just to know that everything is recorded. So if you miss anything or you want to share it with colleagues or you want to use it for an assignment or whatever, these are all accessible on Matflix. So it's a fantastic resource if you're doing an assignment or you're doing a revalidation or whatever you might be doing. So great thanks to Matflix for getting that all indexed and everything. And tonight is my delight, actually, to be joined by three wonderful speakers. I've got Nat Corden, I've got Dr. Tracy Cooper and Professor Trixie McCurie, or Macquarie. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Trixie, or I'll be in trouble. And we're going to be talking continuity of care. And I've got a slight bit of deja vu because I seem to recall that we were talking about, well, we talk about continuity of care a lot because it's the one key intervention that has a major, major effect on women, on babies and families, and on midwives. But I know we were talking about this last year, and I'm really so pleased we're talking about it again, because it's really important, in spite of the pandemic, in spite of everything else that's going on. But before we get on to that, I'm going to put each of my speakers on the spot, as we always do, to ask them to just present me with a moment of the week to share. And I'll start with Nat. Um, So my moment of the week um, is a little bit of self-care today, spending time with my mum and um, we had some lovely tapas together and had lovely chat and then um, I went to to Primark and brought some lovely (laughs) pyjamas. Fluffy, beautiful, warm winter pajamas that actually I can't wait to put on. And but I'm I'm being professional and staying in in, in this outfit for now. <laughs> but I'm very tempted. They are are close by. Beautiful. Okay. And other makes are available. <laughs> of course. Sorry. <laughs> but wonderful. Isn't that a super example of how we need to all to look after ourselves? And Nat has illustrated that beautifully. So thank you so much, Nat. So I'll put Tracy on on the spot now. <laughs> to share a little moment you have to only choose one little mo- moment 
Oh, that's the difficulty, isn't it, really? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's been so nice for me probably is being able to go out and about and actually go on site to places. Um, so I've been really lucky, and um, I can't mention one place without another. That's a problem. So <laughs> I went to uh, York last week and Hall this week to see how they're getting on with their continuity carer. And just to be able to meet the teams face to face was really lovely. And, and for them to share what they've been doing with us was great. But also as well, <laughs> um, I met some new students at the University of Sheffield who were doing um, um, a master's course um, to become a midwife. And they've already got degrees um, so they're um, coming through um, based on a leadership and continuity of carer course basis okay. as well. So, so that was really lovely to meet those as well. So, yeah, just being out and meeting people again, uh-huh. it's just been a pleasure. But this is what's wonderful about Tracy. She's managed to squeeze three moments. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah. Well done. And how lovely to meet new students. The, yeah, mean, we know with the new. Um, oh, I'd have to whip out whip this out. The new proficiencies, essential yeah. reading for midwives, and continuity is a really important part of that. So thank you for bringing that up. I'll pin that down on Trixie now, for a moment. Thanks, Sue, and hi everybody. Yeah, that like Tracy, there's lots of moments, and I'm just constantly blown away about by the resilience and by the positivity of the midwives I meet as I'm also going with Tracy and others around to to visit people and today I had a particularly enjoyable experience because I was talking to a finance director and talking about the maths that sits underneath staffing and demonstrating how possible continuity of care it is once you've understood the maths that sits underneath it so that really cheered me up but you might not all agree with me that that's such a good thing. I think anyone that can talk to a finance uh, director and get them, you know, on the same level with money. I think that's brilliant. Fantastic, Trixie. Well done. And thank you for sharing your moments of the week. Now, I'm going to go just to highlight and just to say to everyone about we still have COVID, that we're still using restrictions. We're still using our masks and our sanitizer. So we just want to say a big Hello and take care to everyone who's involved in health services at the moment. Anyone who's suffering from COVID or long COVID, we hope you get well really soon because it's grisly to have this bug. Mm. I know we're going coming to a new normal. I I would say personally, just keep being careful. It's worth it. It's a a mask is no big deal. It really isn't. Mm. Nor is the hand sanitizer. And you might stop yourself getting the grizzly cold as well. So that has to be good. And we know everyone's really stressed and everyone's having to work really hard. So we just send another big thank you and a big virtual hug. And I'd say from the words of Natalie, you need to look after yourself and find some really good self-care things to keep yourself resilient and well. So big thank you to everybody. Now, there's still, for my news, I'm not going to say anything very much about petrol because I think things are getting slightly better, but I know it's still stressing some people. And we know that work's underway for frontline staff getting the COVID vaccine booster, which is fantastic. Don't forget your flu vaccine if you're eligible for that as well. Don't want that either. Um, I wanted to also share 
a great bit of news that Professor Marlin Sinclair at University of Ulster has been awarding or being awarded a, an honorary RCM fellowship for her contribution to midwifery research. So that's absolutely fantastic. Congratulations, Marlin. It's so well deserved. That's fantastic. Other things that are going on, there's a well-being of women have all launched their menopause work for workplace pledge. I knew I'd trip over probably there. And, and this is for employers to support women going through the menopause in the workplace. And that includes the NHS, includes lots of different organisations. So have a look at their um, pledge and see where you could use it in your own workplace. Be fantastic. I want to remind people that next week from the 9th to the 15th is, um, is October is Baby Loss Awareness Week. So there's a lot of activities and a lot of awareness being raised on that um, issue. Other great news this week is the new drug being available for people with sickle cell. And it's the first, I think it's the first for a long time. I think it's 20 years, someone said. Um, and it's going to make a real difference for 5,000 people over the next three years. And that's really fantastic. So really pleased about that. And also just to highlight that it's Black History Month this, this month. And one of the things I thought was really fantastic was a fabulous statue, which you could get on your resources sheet, which I put somewhere, which is available online. I've got a photo of it. This lovely, this lovely um, statue of Henrietta Lacks, who's a, who was a black woman whose cells led to med huge medical advances. And this statue was made by a black woman in the UK, Helen Wilson Rowe. And it's a really, I think it's a fantastic statue. It really looks like a real person. And I'm sure, I mean, Henrietta obviously was a real person. It, and it's really lovely to see. Um, and this week, I'm not going to say I'm reading a book. This week, I've mainly been watching the um, RCM conference. Really good, all virtual, but and really some fantastic speakers. And I know... RCM members will be watching that as well and catching up. So have a look on the resources page, which is available. There's some um, references from Trixie and Tracy, and there's also a few from updated references for you to keep yourselves up to date. Oh, right, that's a whistle, whistle, whistle stop tour now of the news. We're now going to move into the meat and drink of this session, and we're focusing on continuity of care. And this is in the context, it has been part of the maternity transformation programme, but obviously it's been impacted by COVID-19 over the last year. And in some places it might feel as though it's become a bit slow. Maybe the programmes haven't been um, rolled out as fast. But of course, it is known that it, continuity has an, a major impact on mothers and babies and midwives also. So I'm really delighted to introduce again Natalie Corden, who will be known to many of you if you're a Twitter, Twitter, a Twitterer or tweeter um, and a blog enjoyer. You will know Nat from that. She's a continuity of care midwife here in the South, and she's going to ex share her experience of being I mean, the joys and loves of being a continuity of care midwife. So thank you so much for coming, Nat. The screen is now yours. Okay. Um, so I sort of 
was asked to sort of come on here and, and have a chat. Um, I don't have any um, fancy slides, I'm sorry, and I don't have any uh, anything else to put up on the screen apart from my face. Um, but I wanted to talk about um, the love I have for continuity, obviously, and um, what, it, what it means to me and um, going forward, what it means to me. So the basics uh, I wanted to talk about because I think that's what a lot of people are interested in like what is, what are my basics what what is happening to me on a day-to-day -day basis um so I'm part of a team of six um we started out as a continuity team last January just before Covid hit um so we had a lovely um res uh, uh, clinical space in a children's centre which unfortunately we lost within the first three months um, because it was shut due to Covid um so we made big adaptations almost straight away as a team. Um, we were rotated um, to working um, days and we had long days on call and night on calls. Um, they are eight in the morning till eight at night or, and vice versa. Um, but with that, we have had to adjust those as well um, because we found that having the strict um, days that were rotated didn't work for the women and didn't work for us so um, we changed that and we became self-rostered so um, in terms of my working week I can have uh, one long day where I'm on call for labour um, and I go wherever the woman is or I can and I can have one night on call a week whereby I'm at home and obviously I go out to wherever the woman is to care for her in labour um, the rest of my days are what I what I want to do and what I need to do. Um, so some weeks are very, very busy. Um, I book three women a month and um, I try to space those so that they're not all having babies in the same same week. But as we all know, the magical due date doesn't really exist and babies come whenever they want. So some weeks I can have a very high commitment to postnatal care um, because I have three women that have their babies. So I, I'm going out to see them a lot. So some days are very full and some weeks are very full um, and some, some less so. Um, I wanted to sort of run through a sort of maybe a bit of a day in the life. I read it out to my um, teenage son earlier on today and he said, that sounds really boring. And I was like, okay, it's like, thanks for the feedback. Beautiful. But then I just read it to my eldest son and he was like, well, yeah, that's all right. That's what you do, isn't it? I thought, yeah, okay, we'll go with it then. So I'm just going to read out sort of an average day in the life of, of me and, and what I do. So, it's a working day. I'm not on call for labour care, but I check my work phone for any overnight updates or day updates. I answer three text messages from my caseload. One is inquiring whether her partner can attend a scan. Another checking that our appointment time is this morning. And the last asking whether I could give her information on hiring a birth call. I wish my team a good day via work phone WhatsApp and pack my bag for the day. I have a mix of postnatal and antenatal appointments, so it's a good idea to check over equipment, stock and paperwork before I get out on the road. I arrive at the hospital to see a woman booking for her first pregnancy. I check my phone and again, there are messages from the caseload inquiring about blood results and one asking about newborn behaviours. The booking goes well as I explain the team care and the expectations of continuity of care. I complete paperwork and take booking bloods. I then see antenatal women till 12 and it's great to see they're all going well in their pregnancies. Before I leave, I check my inbox and reply to, email, to an email about a consultant appointment I had requested for a woman. I add appointments to my work calendar for for the next few days. I head out on the road after a sandwich and a fizzy drink to see my postnatal women. It's wonderful to support the women in their feeding choices and seeing their first few days as new mothers when you've cared for them throughout their pregnancy. 
It's then time to get back to the hospital. I get my NNST samples checked by a colleague, colleague, check the intro for any referrals. I remember that I need more blood forms to do a 28 week check. And so I print them off. The admin team in, in the office take a call and they ask me to speak to a woman and reassure her about her baby's umbilical cord. And I give reassurance plus signposting. My teammate is in the office as she's working the long day and has been called in. She describes the lovely birth she has attended. I check she doesn't need any help as I can do the NIPE examination. She's already organised it, so I bid her farewell. I arrive home and I check my work phone again, a few more texts to send and signpost into triage for a woman that has concerns that her waters are broken. I log on my laptop and cash up the morning's appointments while adding future appointments. I remember that my e-learning for resus needs redoing, so I do the reading and assessment. It's the end of the day and I check in on the day's events in the team via WhatsApp and make the night on call midwife aware that a caseload woman may be attending triage for a query shrom. I then turn off the phone as, the, as it's the end of my day. So it probably does sound a bit boring, but I thought it, you know, just lay out the basics. Um, I wanted to say about continuity that I really feel it's a lived and a loved experience. In that, I mean, the lived experience can be really challenging. Um, it is learning to adapt. It's a totally different model of care. If you've been a rotational midwife, then this is a big change for you. You know, to take on a caseload, to be an autonomous practitioner, um, making care plans and following through those plans, it, it can be really tough um, in the beginning. And then, you know, you learn, you adapt, you learn how to time manage better. Um, in some cases, you you don't because you know we're we're all human. Um, you the the lived experience of sort of having a team and building a team is is, is really great. I've loved it. Um, building the connections between the team and having you know really good team leader has um, made the experience for me. The loved experience I talk about and I bring from ear to ear and I tell everybody that, you know, ask me about continuity is the love. And I don't you know, I do mean sort of hearts, um, but the love that the women give me and talk, talk the way they talk to me. Um, and we see it in sort of evaluations and the feedback forms and things like that. But the way that, you know, the relational continuity, the actual connections with women is what I became a midwife for. And I, I, that I feel that's what I'm having in, in my job role now. So um, I, that's what I call sort of continuity lived and loved. Um, going forward, there's, you know, there's still a lot to do. There's still stuff that I want to do as a continuity midwife. I want to improve in more outcomes. You know, I want to, to do better. And that's what I'm that's what I strive to do. Um, I in terms of the team we've changed we have sort of we've adapted as I said um, we're now a mixed uh, risk caseload whereas at the beginning we were all we were taking on only low risk women um, we are postcode specific now which is, is quite a big change um, because we were sort of dotted around a, an area rather than being in, in one area and seeing what impact we could have on one area um, and sort of my own sort of response responsibility wise um i feel like i really want to look into how we are sort of uh, reducing the use of epidural and how we are um sort of like helping our women to stay at home um when they're in their latent phase and, and coming into hospital when they're in established labor and um you know in getting more women to have home birth as well you know i've had some beautiful home births with the team um and you know 
women having their first baby at home is absolutely, you know, is a dream. It's an absolute dream to be with them and support them when they do that. Um, so that's really me. There's not, I, I don't really have much more to say other than I love it and I, I we encourage people to do it. Um, step out of their comfort zone, you know, think about um, the bigger picture um what what you came to, to be a midwife you know why did you want to do it um and if that drives there um then, then go for it um you won't be disappointed in in sort of the way that it works so that's me thank you thank you for listening and obviously i'm open to questions anyone wants to ask me anything at the end of the session fabulous thank you so much nat for setting 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 us up for this now that's great and, and I'll say to the audience, if you've got questions, we've got a few coming through um, and we've got a, a time at the end of the session, as we always do, for some questions. So if you have a question for Nat, and it could be something about how, how she organises her, her um, off duty, but not too many arithmetics, I, I suspect. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so thank you very much, Nat. We'll move on now. We've got a little bit of a double act now. So I'm, I'm, I have... And I'm very pleased to introduce our double act, which is Dr. Tracy Cooper, MBE. She's the regional chief midwife for the Northeast and Yorkshire. And she was awarded her MBE in 2018 for her contribution to midwifery. And she's had an outstanding contribution award for midwifery and maternity services. And she became a fellow of the RCM in 2017. She's worked in all areas of, of midwifery and and especially head of midwifery, consultant midwife, whole list of things that Tracy's got up to in her past. And then um, we have Professor Trixie Macquarie, who's highly experienced also. She's been a consultant midwife, head of midwifery, and she's currently the national midwifery lead for continuity care at NHS England and improvement team. And she's also a professor of midwifery and maternal health. I hope I've got that correct now, Trixie and Tracy. Um, and welcome, and the screen is now yours. Thank you, Sue, for that lovely introduction. Um, I'm going to do the first few slides and then Trixie's going to do some, if that's okay. Um, so I just wanted us to um, <laughs> go back, really, to um, talk about the evidence and um, reminding ourselves what it... Uh, what it is about continuity of carer that makes a difference to outcomes for women and their families. Um, so there's been a few Cochrane reviews over the time and um, with so much evidence, it's hard not to, um, not to say that it, it is actually making a difference. So if we start with um, the midwifery-led care Cochrane review, which was by Sandal in 2013, it showed there is a reduction in epidural episiotomy in, in instrumental birth. And there's also a trend towards a cost-saving effect for midwife-led continuity of care compared to other models of care. And then in 2015, um, midwife-led continuity models versus other models of care for childbearing women showed that women who received midwife-led continuity models of care were less likely to experience intervention, more likely to be satisfied with their care. And they found that it was at least comparable with adverse outcomes for women or their infants when women who received other models of care. Um, then another Cochrane review, <laughs> midwife 
led continuity models versus other models of care um, by Sandlin 2016, again showed that uh, women who receive midwife continuity models were less likely to experience intervention, more likely to be satisfied with the care, at least comparable adverse outcomes for women or their infants with other models, fewer preterm births, fewer fetal deaths less than 24 weeks, and fewer overall fetal loss and neonatal death. And um, the continuity of care Cochrane Review by Hodnett in 2020 said that women who had continuity of care by a team of midwives were more likely to discuss antenatal and postnatal concerns, attend prenatal classes, give birth without painkillers and feel well prepared and supported during labour and also feel prepared for childcare and resuscitation was less frequently required for their babies as well. And then we have interventions during childbirth to prevent preterm birth, um, which is an overview of Cochrane systematic reviews, which was by Medley et al in 2018, and showed that there was clear evidence of reducing perinatal risk of preterm birth from midwife-led models of care for all pregnant women, so women of all risk status. So what are the most effective interventions during pregnancy for preventing stillbirth? This was a Cochrane review done by the Silver Lopez et al in 2020. And that showed that where midwives were the primary healthcare provider, particularly for low risk pregnant women, loss of the fetus or infant death fell by 16%. Um, so we can't really fail to um, ignore so much evidence and um, Sheila Kitzinger, God bless her soul, I'm sure a lot of you um, knew Sheila um, and she did so much for Charber. She wasn't a midwife but she was a service user and um, her voice echoed all around maternity and midwifery um, services. Um, and in Sheila's Kitzinger Symposium in 2015 which looked at relationships um, it found that women are 24% less likely to experience preterm birth, 19% less likely to lose their baby before 24 weeks gestation, 16% less likely to lose their baby at any gestation. And women were also more satisfied with the information and advice that they receive, the place where they give birth, their preparation for labour, their choice of pain relief and their overall experience. And startup costs associated with introducing a new model of care, the results showed there were shorter hospital stays, fewer tests and interventions, so that it didn't cost any more than the current services that were being run at the time, as well as leading to improved job satisfaction for midwives. The key to implementing it and making sure it works was good leadership, allowing grassroots development of local models which address local needs, with supportive supervision, supervision and realistic planning underpinned by a positive multidisciplinary collaboration. And I think those things are really key as we found as we move forward. Um, the Select Committee Safe Maternity Report was published on the 6th of July and um, within it, it was done sort of like a CQC style of report um, but it was done to review safety maternity services in England following concerning reports from Morecambe Bay, Shrewsbury and Telford and um, some initial findings from East Kent. And um, it included looking at continuity of carer within that. 
And um, there was lots of evidence submitted to the healthcare committee in relation to continuity of carer, but they looked at a variety of evidence and the overwhelming evidence was that continuity of carer does make a difference and um, it makes a difference to outcomes and safety and therefore it is supported by the committee to continue with the rollout of continuity of carer. Um, they felt that um, it still needs improvement, requires improvement because it should be rolled out for all. Um, felt the commitment was inadequate, the funding resource required improvement, the impact requires improvement, but they felt it was appropriate and they rated it as good for that. Um, and then also, Sue touched on it a bit earlier, is that our maternity services currently are under extreme pressure. And um, there's so many things to consider. And I listed everything that um, maternity services need to consider at the moment, at this um, point in time, as well as dealing with the pandemic. And as you can see, the list is absolutely massive. And um, uh leadership teams within maternity services need this, all of the support as well as the midwives, maternity support workers um, on the ground caring for women and their families. And we mustn't forget that as we move towards um, doing transformation. So I'm going to hand over to Trixie at this point. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And thank, thanks, Tracy, for setting the scene and just reminding us. Oh, can you go back to the last slide? So we have been through the most horrendous time, as we all know. Yet I personally am really encouraged to listen to Nat and hear about how she's been getting on with with her team and actually how her team evolved and, and, and how it is, it's doing, it's working in a way that you'd expect it to do. So I would say well done, Nat and Jasmine team down there um, in, in Medway. That's, it's just fantastic to listen to you talk. It's, re it's really good and actually we need you to be multiplying. Now you might say with all these problems, where are we at in the country? But let me encourage you for all the crisis and all the difficult we've been, the difficulties we've been through, there is almost 100,000 women in a continuity of care routine through their pregnancy as we speak. So the last survey was done in March and we're going to repeat it shortly. But we can tell you that there are more teams in place than there was last March, 371 versus uh, 347. And that is despite the fact that many trusts who had set up teams but not following the guidance that we'd asked them to follow, you know, very big teams or not providing all three elements of care, different things like that, then had recanted from previous um, audits and said, no, okay, we, we realise we haven't done it right. But even so, all these new teams have come into play, 371 of them, caring for almost 100,000 women. And what's even more exciting is that these teams are being placed in the areas where women need it the most. So we've got 263 teams in areas of deprivation. That means the bottom decile, you know, the, the, the poorest areas in England. And we've also got 246 teams uh, in areas where there are high populations of black, Asian and mixed ethnicity people. So the people that most need this intervention because they're the people that suffer the most adverse outcomes are the ones that are getting um, continuity. 
So I think we should be really, really encouraged. The graph on the other side just tells us that the majority of teen trusts are running at about um, 10%, but there are a few that are up to 50% and going on uh, beyond that. Next slide, Tracy. So um, we do have some examples of excellent practice around the country. York was somewhere we went just, well, I didn't go, I was online, but Tracy went um, last week to where they're doing absolutely brilliantly. I think they've got 47% continuity. Likewise, Barnsley doing really, really well. And then there's some places here that I wanted to mention because they've used our modelling tools, they've tested them out. So D County Durham and Darlington, I think, have now got five teams in place or about to which is about 25 to 30% of their women. They've used all the modeling tools to check it out for us to see if it's going to work. And what happened in that context was the midwives were not keen on continuity when they started. But as those teams have rolled out and word of mouth has got out that the midwives are having a fantastic time and the women are having fantastic outcomes, things like women with a high smoking rate are now dropping their smoking rates, breastfeeding rates that were really low are going up. So really fantastic long-term health implications for what those midwives are doing for those people's lives. So we see that, that those places are really making a difference. Milton Keynes, the informatic that you can see in the middle, the thing I wanted to mention about them was that they looked at their sick rates for their midwives and they had a 52% reduction in sickness after joining a caseloading team. Also, so joining a team just like Jasmine, just like Nat is doing, has reduced the sickness because people have enjoyed coming to work. They've enjoyed being autonomous. They've enjoyed being empowered and they've got a consistent and manageable workload. So we all know when we go to work on that labor ward in any trust in this country, we don't know who's gonna turn up. We don't know what our workload is going to be, but because we, when we reorganize our work, we can feel that we're in control of what we're doing because we know that we've got a 27 live, 27 woman live caseload. And therefore we know roughly what our workload is going to look like at any given time although there is a bit of variation as, as, as Natalie described to us. Next slide, please, Tracy. So what we're looking for is how do we get from where we are now, which is a sixth of women, to, 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 to moving forward? And that's you know what we wanted to mention. So the parliament, the government is behind this initiative. It's not going away and we need to just embrace it and think of ways of, of, of doing it in the best possible way. Now, this part on the one side, the blue slide of the side of the slide just tells you what's been put in place uh, by the government so much so far and how much uh, money has been given because trusts haven't been left alone. There has been a lot of implementation money made available, including that um, 96 million pounds uh, for additional midwives. <clears throat> and what we've also done on the other side is we've looked at how do we go from planning to achieving success, there is a certain list of things that you need to put in place and, and, and we want to help you with this. And what I say at any meeting that I speak at is if your trust or if you need anybody to help you with any element of this, do not be a stranger and please, please just get in touch and, and we would love to help you. Next slide, Tracy. So we've got some priorities and actually the guidance that we've all been waiting for for a very long time is just about through it's just got to go through so many hoops and so many approvals including Amanda Pritchard's office before it comes out to the public but what it is essentially wanting you to do there's there's some formal things written on this slide but what it essentially is asking trust to do is 
come up with their plan and describe how they're going to get from whatever they've got. So in, 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 in Natalie's example, she's got one team at her trust at the moment. She'll need probably about 19 or 20 to achieve default continuity of carers. So trusts need to describe how they're going to get there and how they're going to go from the current usage of midwives in a traditional model to moving them across into um, a continuity model. Next slide, please, Tracy. So what we've put in place to help you is the NHSCI toolkit. And there's um, spreadsheets and example uh, standard operating policies, um, uh, information about pay, information about training. There's even a mock board paper for people to take and fill in. So they've got something to send to the centre of the board. And um, essentially how it what it helps you do is see how doable this is. So in the toolkit, there is an example of how you do it. And generally speaking, if you've got your traditional birth rate plus that tells you where your midwives are allocated and how many midwives you need, you just translate that across into the um, NHSEI toolkit and you should be able to redeploy your midwives without requiring extra midwives. There is the odd trust that needs one or two more for whatever reason. But generally speaking, using that traditional um, activity and acuity ratio modeling that birth rate plus does for a traditional model you just bring that across and you ought to be able to um, deliver continuity of care in your trust uh, with that um, next slide please tracy so there are as we've said certain things that uh, that need to be in place and and actually what i've seen is we can all be learning from each other so we listen to, to nat and her experience we very strongly say don't go for a shifted system and it's exactly what Natalie experienced you end up getting penned in and what we want to do is give people freedom you still know when you're going to do your birth availability so you know when your out of hours work is going to occur you still know when you're on holiday so you can still plan all your time but we can learn from the things that haven't worked well to to share them with each other to to work out how we how we can do all of this better and in doing that next slide please Tracy um, if we if we do it in the way that the guidance suggests and if we use all these tools, we will avoid, I've just realised I spelled avoid wrongly, uh, we can avoid all these, <laughs> sorry guys, uh, uh, we can avoid all these unintended consequences. If we want to make sure midwives in the right place at the right time, if we, 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 we just use the toolkit and it describes where all the mid women are, where all the midwives are. Are our ratios still safe? Yes, they are. So we're safe to proceed. And it's just really easy to, man to manage. There's never any double running. You don't need a whole swathe of extra midwives. It avoids unsafe and inconsistent staffing if you do it properly. It prevents being tired and being burnt out because you now have unpredicted and manageable workload. And the beauty, and, and Nat was describing this as, as a testimony to this, is actually when you set your teams up well and you prepare your teams before you start, um, you avoid the poor team working and the lack of communication that we saw at places like um, uh, Shrewsbury and Telford because the teams are built in an appropriate fashion and therefore the teams work well and this has been borne out by all the research that Michael West has done over the many years so nobody's been asked to do a big bang because we know that that would be bonkers we're asking trusts to do a phased approach we're asking trusts to do it in in tandem with recruitment so you get your right midwives in place before you start doing too much and then um but at the same time we do want to avoid a two-tier system so everybody says 
and I've had this said to me so many times, oh, the women get a better time, the midwives get a better time, it's not fair for the ones not in a team. So the answer to that question is let's get everybody in a team except for the ones that want to stay in the core and therefore everybody's happy. So hopefully that gives you a flavour of where we are and, and where we want to, to get to. And I will give Tracy the last word of the last slide. Please, Tracy. Oh, oh, thank you. I just love this picture so much. It just epitomises everything. Um, and, you know, we want women and their families to have the best outcomes and we want our services to be safe. So staffing women and not buildings is the way that we need to move forward. And... Um, hopefully we can help to do that as we move forward we know it's not easy it's a whole system change and it'll take time and it needs to be done in the right way and it needs to be done safely as well mm. um, so we need to ensure that it, it's phased and um, and developed as we move forward um, but at the end of the day it's about women and their experiences and their families and also about midwives lives and about work-life balance and about midwives and support workers as well wanting to come to work and, and do their job and love doing their job as well um, so that's where we'd like to be so thank you fabulous thank you so much that was that was excellent Gosh, I feel, I feel I've been on a whistle. I have been on a whistle-stop tour now with all three of you. So it's fantastic. Thank you so much. Now, we have some questions coming through, and they vary quite a bit, I have to say. Now, if I'm looking away from the, the camera, please forgive me. I've got, I have two screens, and the questions come out in on one screen. And, and I'm just, if I start off with one that came in, I think, for... Um, Nat, which was uh, da, 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 where was it? It was uh, from Siobhan Coates. Hi, Siobhan. And she said, Nat, we'll be interested to hear how you find the balance with family life. I think a lot of us are worried about how we achieve that balance and manage childcare, etc. And I think a little bit of that was alluded in the second presentation, but your view, Nat. My, my view, um, well, I mean, it works for me. Um, I, my children are a bit older, um, but they are still needing me. They still need, need me around. Um, I'm still doing school run and things like that. Um, I think in that respect, I have a little bit more freedom because, um, you know, I set my own timings of my clinic um so I can take my son to school if I you know when, when I need to I can pick him up when I need to because I again I can adjust my appointments to fit around him a little bit more um in terms of sort of like um long days on call and nights on call um I think we've just made you know we've adapted to that you know I've I've taught him um, a bit more about being a little bit more self-sufficient and made him a little bit more independent, um, you know, knowing that I could be out of the house um, on a night on call and he might have to sort of use his own alarm clock and get himself out, um, uh, out of bed. Um, uh, and, uh, I, you know, that I would be, I'll be back to take him to school, but, you know, he has to take a little bit more responsibility. And I know that's not going to work. You've got little, little children, um, but it, it has, it does work for me. 
um, in terms of sort of, yeah, the family balance is, is, is much better. Um, my children have grown up with me training to be a midwife and then me becoming a midwife. And, you know, the hours that I was doing when I was a rotational midwife, um, the zombie mum that I used to become after my three nights um, where I couldn't basically communicate with anybody, um, that's gone. That person's gone completely. She doesn't exist anymore um, because I don't have back-to-back -back nights anymore. I have a night on call, um, you know, and I have a day of rest the next day. If I, you know, if I can have it, I'll, I'll have the day of rest. So in terms of that, yeah, I, you know, I think that's brought um, my midwifery career and, you know, that has balanced. Yeah, it definitely yeah. has balanced. Fantastic. And I think what's underpinning, though, as you're talking, is the teamwork of your team, because you say we do this. And, and that's kind of so important, but also the teamwork of your family kind of getting to grips with you being a midwife. So that's fantastic. Thank you for that. Now, um, Michelle Soen, Michelle says this sounds so similar to caseload midwifery. I think so. Like Nat, I've lived and loved this experience throughout the 1990s. My concern is how will burnout for midwives be prevented as in caseload midwifery? I'm aware that in some maternity trusts are struggling to retain staff. And I think that's a, an issue. Certainly, it's been under discussion for some time. And there is a bit of a crisis with not enough midwives. And one of the things I'm, I'm aware, it's very difficult to run this sort of um, system if you're short of staff you don't it doesn't magically work but perhaps um tracy could answer that maybe yeah so um one of the most important things which um i think will be in some of the guidance that trixie's talking about that's coming out is that um that we have the building blocks in place so safe staffing is really important and ensuring that services are up to birth rate plus establishment or working towards it alongside rolling teams out to do it safely is really, really important. The other thing as well um, that uh, we need to consider is the ratio um, of midwives to women. So ratio of one to 36 really works and works well. Um, I don't really think we had that evidence in the 1990s when we were doing it then. And, you know, we've, we've um, built on the evidence base that we had and we've learned lessons from that experience as well. So I think we've got more tools in our box and we know what works and what doesn't far better than what we did previously. Um, so I think we're in a different space to what we were then. And of course, in the 1990s, this wasn't fully supported financially. And as soon as you, I can remember myself in, being in a trust where when they got short of staff in the unit, they called on the teams to come and do, you know, double up in a way, which is what you've talked a little about. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, Trixie. But... Yeah, so absolutely echo everything that Tracy said and the, and the guidance absolutely says, you know, you can't start rolling out teams if you're 30 midwives short or whatever you happen to be short and I have had um, continuity leads bouncing up to me saying oh we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we say I say have you planned it out have you put it onto the spreadsheet mm -hmm. have you used those tools to make sure you've got it exactly right and if they haven't done it you very quickly realize they're going to get into difficulties because they will be short you have to check all your maths to assure yourself of, of safety over all the units so I think that's the first thing to say is setting up your teams properly is desperately important and it's also about 
how you then manage that team and how you then manage the birth availability. So if you're employed for 37 and a half hours, you should be expecting to work 37 and a half hours. Mm. You know, we all might do something over ever so occasionally, but it shouldn't be on a regular basis by mm. any means because you should have a system where you know over a four-week period it's going to be 150 hours. Therefore, I'm going to make sure that if I worked a bit more in one, one, one week because a woman was in labour or whatever, the following week I just take that time back and so it balances out quite quickly. And all those things avoid uh, avoid that um that burnout it's also and teams can work this up themselves because I think the more autonomy a team has the better the team will function but they you know you can know six months in advance when is it going to be your birth availability day when are you going to do it I'm going to do it every Monday night let's say because that's what my life needs and if that's what you're going to do and your team is happy with that you know far be it from anybody else and then I think finally what Tracy said we've got to remember that that one to 36 is an appropriate number they've mm. used mathematical modeling to test it it's called Monte Carlo simulation and that then says that's the right amount and that means someone's done a proper day's work and we shouldn't be calling on continuity midwives any more than we should mm. you know be calling on the postnatal midwife to come back to work it's it, you know everybody if the trust is in a crisis everybody should be participating in in coming in and managing that crisis, not just saying, oh, those continuity midwives, they happen to have a thing called on-call, which isn't an on-call in any case, but we shouldn't be calling on those people because that's the thing that's putting people under pressure, I think, not the actual way that, the, you know, like like Nat said, she, she has a far better work-life balance, but if they were calling her out every five minutes because inappropriately, then she wouldn't, she wouldn't be able to say that, would she? So we need to be really mindful of this is what we're asking people to do. And actually, we wouldn't call the postnatal midwife back, you know, because she's done a full day's work. Why are we calling those people out to do extra in, in an, un, an unfair way? Although having said that, you, we recognise that trusts are really on their knees at the moment and mm. people are doing everything they can to try and mitigate that crisis. Yeah. And I think that's coming over in some of the, the questions that are coming through. Um, I know there was something on Twitter the other day about midwives saying, well, why are we doing continuity of care when we're so exhausted and stressed? And Claire has asked a question, says, what next for continuity of care? Please, can you tell me you're pausing it uh, whilst more midwives are recruiting, allowing maternity units to restore like the rest of the NHS departments. Um, and this is a, a sort of, an exhausted cry, which I'm sure many midwives are feeling. And I was, as, mm. as Nat was talking, I was thinking, actually, the trouble is, if you're working so hard, you have to kind of almost step back before you can see that actually this is an answer. Yes. That's as long as, you know, as long as the right systems are set up. But I don't know if anyone wants to respond to Claire. So, so Claire, I think we, we, we hear your pain. And I have had so many conversations with people about, well, what do you do? So the system that we have, as Nat described, you know, feeling like a zombie at the end of those of those mm. shifts. That means that what we've got in place at the moment is not working. And therefore, we need to give people something that's going to work better. So we have to stop doing it the way we're doing it. and We have to do something else. And as Sue just said, continuity appears to be the right answer. So nobody's pushing anybody through anything because we recognize that each trust has to sort out its own stuff in its own way and particularly in terms of making sure that they've recruited the right number of midwives otherwise it will not work mm. but at the same time as as sue said 
getting into continuity teams will actually be the solution because you will no longer be exhausted when you work in that way because you your your workload will be predictable and it will be measured and manageable and therefore you won't be sick all the time which is what happens at the moment if you look at them most of the nhs sickness rates i think it's 3.54 percent when i was a head of midwifery and in most services i go to it's it's it was always six percent when i was doing that outside of covid and it's mm. probably considerably higher now so we need to do something that changes it and this is a solution for changing that bigger wider problem that we've, we're facing i have to say one of the things that's coming over from this evening isn't is finance numbers i've got jotted on my notes page maths and Excel spreadsheets. And I think maybe as midwives, we're going to have to get used to talking a bit of the language of numbers. Oh, never mind. Oh, and also on. in terms yeah. of safety as well, Sue. This is yeah. about safety. I've got and, that you know, jotted down too. Yeah. <laughs> and making sure we've got the right numbers in place to make sure mm. we've got a safe service first as well is really important. Mm. Mm. Um, and ensuring that um, the exec team and the trust board are signed up to safe staffing. Yeah, good. That's a good point. Yeah, I'd, I'd be signed up to to prevent our midwives being zombie midwives. I don't like that idea. Now that you've got me on that thinking on that one. So we've got another query. Um, Jill wanted missed some of Nat's session, um, and said my signal kept going, so I missed some of the section. Uh, Jaylee said schedule can I just ask do you cover all your team's deliveries when on call day and night home and hospital it sounded as though you see your own ladies antenatally and postnatally through self-rostering is that so yeah so I so our SOP was set out to um, do 100% as a named midwife for antenatal care and essential visits postnatally so first day at home and day five and then the team of six cover the intrapartum care of every woman in the caseload so we have a day on call and a night on call so we cover um as many as we we can obviously there are times when um two come at once so we only have one midwife that's on call um and then you know that person you know first come first served so, sorry okay. um they get the jasmine midwife and obviously our beautiful colleagues um uh, take take up slack on in in terms of on the, on the delivery suite or the birth center if fabulous. they need to fabulous thank you and then someone, Meg, Meg Hill, hi Meg, says, how are we ensuring that women are genuinely having continuity of care so they can build these trusted relationships rather than seeing potentially eight different midwives during their care, which might tick the target box, but isn't what most people would like from continuity? Oh, who'd like to answer that one? So I think what Natalie said <laughs> answered the question already. So I think Natalie's already answered <laughs> I aim to give if you are organized there's absolutely no reason unless you become seriously ill or something like that that you wouldn't give most care to your women and you should never be palming her up between eight people I pick you up at booking and I arrange every single visit and I do creative things because working in this way working at a 27 live caseload gives us a lot of time to do sociable activities where you get to know the rest of the team and then to answer from the, from the technical perspective, we do have a process in place to um, to ensure we we will not we will not call it continuity if it's less than seventy percent. So you know that we've we've got a mechanism in place to count this, and as trusts 
gain digital maturity, we'll be able to count this better. But actually, it's not beyond the, the, the brain of anybody to work out that you can tell them, right, I'm, I'm off next Tuesday, but come the Tuesday after. Or what, that, that's what you do anyway. Community midwives generally get very good antenatal and postnatal continuity. What, we, what all we're doing is building on that to make it that you can get all three elements because it's all the three elements together that seem to make the difference from the evidence base. Fab. Fabulous. Okay, I've got a nice uh, question from Kenya. And this is Eunice Nayasiri at Sally. Hi, Eunice. And she would be, I would be interested to learn how to initiate continuous care for our women in a medical model environment. I love the experience shared during these presentations. Thank you, Eunice. That's really lovely. Well, how, how could this be kind of started in a medical model? Because, of course, there are women who are going to need a more medically um, kind of organised care, even though it's the saying, isn't it, that all women need a midwife and some might need a doctor too. I suppose it depends if they could um, work flexibly or not, whether their system would allow them to do that because they could work it around um, obstetric teams. So the, uh, an obstetric team working with them, with some midwives within and see that as a team. Um, or working as um, we found this more difficult but uh, like we've had some diabetic teams set up and things like that where you've had um, teams developed around um, pathology really problems and uh, sometimes that could work in a medical model perhaps yeah, so in England, of course, we've got at least 50% probably fall into some sort of medical model. But the majority of women could be organised into mixed risk geographical teams, Eunice. That's that's how we do it in England. However, we do say for women that have got very high and very obvious maternal medicine risks, you absolutely can do it too. So instead of basing the team in the community like Nat, is, Nat sits somewhere in her community and women who live around that community place go to see her but what you could do for those very high risk women is that you just get your team of about seven or eight midwives in the hospital and each of them picks up the same so they book three or four women a, a month and then they birth three women a month that the, the numbers would stay the mm -hmm. same and what we recommend in, in the English context is which we didn't talk about very much today is that we talk about having a linked obstetrician with each team mm -hmm. anyway and, and Nat actually talks about, well, she contacted her obstetrician for a woman that needed a referral in. You would do it in a far more intensive way if you were dealing with women who were extremely ill and that obstetrician would be far more involved. But the principles are exactly the same. And you, so you just base it in the hospital instead of basing it out somewhere in the community. That's great. I mean, it's a, it is a step. And Eunice, have a look at the resources. So you might find some useful things there to just try things out I mean but the first step is often just talking to your t colleagues to see what ideas they have because mm. I have to say I think midwives are incredibly creative and clever at these things and can often come up with really creative answers to talk a little bit about okay now I think we've got one question for one oh I've got to choose one more question uh, let me see Oh, how about Diane Redoubt? Hi, Diane. 
And, and she says, have any continuative cares engaged with local doulas to be involved? Now, that would be fantastic. I guess it depends if you've got some local doulas. I don't know, Natalie, have you got any doulas locally? No, we haven't. No. I, well, we haven't sought that out as a, as a, a, as a resource, no. In in Birmingham, we've got a wonderful um, charity called the Bethel Doulas. I don't know if any of them are listening today, but they pick up particularly with uh, refugee women and um, they support the refugee women as, as their friend almost or their partner, because often the women have come to England on their own and they're pregnant and, and very, very alone. And they do an absolutely fantastic uh, job. I mean, it's not specifically linked with continuity, but you know that 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 you would do that if you were in an area where that where that kind of work was going on you would link it with your with your team just like you would also or what we're, we're recommending within the context of enhanced continuity is linking up with local charities not not just doulas but you know the food bank or the or, 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 or different social groups so that women really stop being isolated and things like that and it would just depend on your specific context as to who you were going to link with and what the needs of that particular group of women was. Okay, that's great. I have to say, we've run out of time. I'm very sad. And I know that a lot of, there's been a lot of questions coming through um, and we'll try and answer them online afterwards. But I, I mean, we have a set time and we've come to the end of it. So I want to say a big thank you to Natalie and Trixie and Tracy for joining us, just to get us going on the continuity of care discussion. Um, and thank you to all of you who've answered, asked some really quite challenging questions and made some really useful comments. And we'll try and get back to you on some of them. Um, so resources will be available on Facebook and this presentation will also be available later on in the week for you to share with your colleagues and your friends and maybe just open up the discussion about continuity. If you've got if you're looking at it locally, you know, what does it mean for you as an autonomous midwife? Because, and, you, you know, have you got zombie midwives where you are? We don't like that idea at all. Um, next week, we'll be welcoming Sophie Russell and we'll be looking at caring for Afghan women um, and Afghan clinic, uh, clinic in, in, in the UK. And we're also marking baby loss awareness uh, week with Michelle Lynch. So that'll be another uh, activity for anyone who's free next Wednesday, seven to eight. Uh, also, don't forget to book for the next um, Midwifery and Maternity Festival on the 23rd of November and the Student Experience Festival on the 10th of November and Midwifery Education Conference also on the 10th of November. So we'll see you next week. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you again to our lovely speakers um, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe and well. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.